This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is... You win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. First thing to say is we're clearly quarrel, so thank you all for coming. We're being broadcast live and also being being recorded just 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 so you're aware um first of all a couple of apologies celia mindelson who done all the work on our survey is ill so she won't be here tonight so we're we're covering that separately you should all have a copy of the agenda by the way they've been handed if you haven't got a copy of the agenda there should be some on the table with um with jules and uh, and neil also david johnson can't be here tonight and um, Charles Jackson has, has gone to Tel Aviv early, I think. So he, we've, we're missing three board members. Yep. Um, just for clarity, we've got since the last meeting, we've got a couple of new members. We've got, um, if, if they can stand up, just so people know who they are. We've got Richard Weeks there and Debbie Cody, which is over there. And co-opted, new, new co-opted member, we've got Charles Jackson, as I say, who, who, who can't be here today. Um, yeah, Deb, Debbie's also our fans forum rep, so uh, she'll be talking about that uh, briefly later on. The first item on the agenda is the survey results. Now, those of you who've been to these before, Celia does a very slick half-hour presentation where she goes through the detail. Unfortunately, Celia's not here, and so... I will go through, probably in less detail than Celia would, the survey results. Now, we sent it out, an email to everybody on Thursday night. We have printed off about 20 copies. There isn't enough for everybody, but have people had a chance to at least read the, the, the sort of summary of the survey? Because what I'd like to do is sort of talk through the high-level stuff and then really have, have, have any questions that people have got. Um, we sent it out... You know, again, we got about 30% response rates. We did it in the summer. Apologies that it hasn't, the results haven't come out earlier. We were hoping to get them out last month, but there is a lot, lot involved in doing the analysis and particularly the writing around the results, and it just took longer, longer than we thought. It'd be no surprise that the, the big issues, the biggest issue, again, is ticket prices. And that's... You know, that's no surprise to anybody. It's, it's a big issue for the trust. It's a big issue for, for supporters. Another issue, clearly, 
is atmosphere in the ground. I think that's probably become, become more of an issue. We will touch on, talk about what we're doing on, on atmosphere later. But I think it's things that are new things that have come up that become more of an issue. Touting has become more an issue. And I'll talk about that later on, what we're doing about that. Access to away tickets. Now, that's probably because last season we were so successful, we sold out every away game in no time at all. So I think there was frustration around that. The process, the process about buying tickets, the uh, virtual waiting room, and also the, the capacity of the ground, the ability to, to get in. I think, say, looking at the summary, one issue that would be worth highlighting is, is the issue of price categorisation, where Chelsea supporters are punished because we've got a successful club. If we were less successful, for a lot of away games, we'd pay 15, 20, even 25 pounds less. Chelsea supporters don't have any more money necessarily than other clubs, but because our team is successful, we, we get penalised. So uh, that's a frustration. That's something we are working with other trusts around. I think there's an acknowledgement that it's probably unfair. Sorry, just like to, as, as they're leaving, round of appreciation for Bobby Tambling. <laughs> Yeah. The, the word legend is a much over word used in, word used in football but I don't think anyone in this room could argue that that man there is not an all time Chelsea legend so okay so we talked about price categorisation now I'm not going to run through 22 pages of, uh, of slides which will probably cheer you all up. What I think I probably would do, if, if, if there's any questions on it or any comments people have got, we'll, we'll fire away with those, and then I'll come up with some other observations at the end. But those of you who've had a chance to read it, is there anything there that surprised you, anything that, that frustrates you, or anything that makes you think, hey, this is something the Trust should be doing, doing more about? Okay. Silence. Silence. I would... Yeah, please do. Yeah. Or it's on the website as well. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, well, I'll, I'll go through it fairly quickly, at a sort of high level. There's one or two things that are quite interesting. That the dialogue with supporters that a couple of years ago was seen to be terrible has now. The, the score for it seems to be has come through more now. Whether that's because we do actually have a grown-up dialogue with the club, the fans' forum maybe is more visible than it was. I don't know, but it's interesting that there's that perception. Maybe it's because the people who've completed the survey are obviously trust members and they know that we do talk to the club. So maybe may, maybe that's the reason. And I think overall, the feeling seems to be that the club is better run in terms of PR, you know, the commercial side and the sort of supporter experience. So there's no sort of negatives. I'm sure the club would like those to be higher, but uh, there's still, they're sort of still pretty reasonable scores, I think. Financial fair play, I'm not really going to touch on, partly because, to be honest, and I'm sure I'm not the only person in the room, I'm not exactly sure what's happening with financial fair play. They seem to be changing the rules, and it's not entirely clear. But, I mean, we've put stuff on our website in the past. There's other stuff. The club have got stuff on the website i think people have got the chance to look at it i'm just not it's not clear to me how long it will be before those 
regulations changed, and are they actually enforced? So, is there, yep. On that point, is there anyone at UEFA that we can ask? Has been arrested. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yes, we just just go to Barl Open Prison and have a word. Yep. Just, just a reminder, because we're recording it and it's you know broadcasting live. If you want to ask a question, raise your hand, and I will give you. Yep. You know, you know the drill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next issue, ticket prices. Sort of lowest scores were around, or f more frustration around the admin fee, or the booking fee, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And the other one is around the prices of away tickets. Now, it's interesting because there was a, a meeting, I think this may be touched on later on, but there was a meeting the Premier League shareholders meeting, which is representative of every club, I think Bruce Buck probably goes from Chelsea, and there were stories that they were going to pass a cap on away ticket prices for next season. That suddenly appeared in the papers. It didn't happen, but it's clear that someone is briefing that there may well be a cap on ticket prices next season in the Premier League, possibly of £35. Now, I'm not sure how that's, that's going to work. If that does happen, then I think... To me, that, that, that's, that, that has to be a good thing, although it has to be taken in the context of the extra money coming into the game and also if they can do it for away supporters, why can't they do it for home supporters? But maybe it does show that even, the, even Scudamore and his merry men at the, uh, at the Premier League are starting to listen to supporters and maybe the 2020 campaign is starting to, to have some influence sort of in, the, in the corridors of power. I think, to be honest, the whole issue around... Ticket prices, most of the scores are, are fairly similar. And the, the big issue, for I guess, for the trust, given that we're likely to be playing in a temporary home in 18 months or two years' time, is the ticketing policy in a temporary home and the ticketing policy in a redeveloped Stamford Bridge. Those are issues we want to be in on the debate on. So I, I, I think it's unlikely that the club are going to do anything seismic next, week, next season for one season in Stamford Bridge unless... They, they, it's a diktat from on high in the, in the Premier League, so we, sh we shall see. Sorry. Right. A couple of good points about concessionary tickets, putting uh, old age pensioners in the Upper East doesn't seem to be a very sensible move, and maybe in the redeveloped grounds they could actually put them somewhere more accessible. And someone who, by the time the ground is redeveloped, will be nearly 65 themselves. I can certainly have some <laughs> sympathy with that view. Um, I think, yeah, the, the, the issue around subsidies for away games. There are people like me, and to be honest, Cliff, and a number of people here who take advantage of the club trains. When they run trains, they're running a train to Leicester. A number of people in this room, I know for a fact, will take advantage of the £10 train. It doesn't suit everybody. Some people drive, people who live outside London. It's not convenient to come in because they can't get home afterwards. But it seems to me that the majority of people recognise what the club are doing and a number of people, it's split. Some people would like more money to go on, on the subsidy to go on travel. A lot want it to be about the same. Some want it to go on tickets. And they are, to be fair, they do do subsidised tickets as well. So Chelsea actually spend half a million a year, give or take, on this, whereas other Premier League clubs only spend 200000 and some of those use that money to paint the away toilets. And Seriously, that's what they do. They don't actually spend it on away initiatives. To me, the clubs should do a lot more because they've got, especially next season, they'll have a lot more money, but it does at least show that they are doing things in the right way. And I think, from what 
when Cliff and I talk to people from other trusts, no other club does more than Chelsea when it comes in terms of looking after away supporters. Do you think that's fair, Cliff? Yeah, that's yep. very fair. Quite yep. Sorry, Cliff. I think Arsenal, with their, with their away fund initiative, knock um, two or three quid off every away ticket. So, you know, where, where that's got some good points, it, it doesn't really affect the majority of people two or three quid a time. Chelsea knock off a tenner for at least three games a season, plus offer, offer £10 travel for every single game that we play outside London, be it a coach or a train. So people who can't, couldn't ordinarily get to the game can go and uh, as Tim said we quite often go on the trains and it's noticeable to see that you do see a lot of young people taking advantage of the £10 trains that go to away games whereas they wouldn't probably have been able to go to them at all if there wasn't if they weren't put on so you know kudos to Chelsea for doing that I think it's also worth making the point sorry sorry Ramsey I was looking the wrong direction sorry mate I think we should applaud the club's efforts for putting the money in there. I mean, it's a brilliant amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the priority is, number one, is providing transport where there isn't any yeah. public, you know, because we get some rubbish fixes. Yeah. Don't we? I don't know what the situation is going to be on Boxing Day bank holiday for Man United away, but I can imagine that's going to be a bit rubbish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, I think the, the club should focus on that, number one. I think, number two, transport generally is good and especially for for the younger fans mm-hmm. though I say is nice though occasionally to have a few cheap tickets yeah. as well so I think they've got the mix about right but I would emphasize the number one thing is getting us to games where it's just not possible or there's no public mm-hmm. transport that would run normally it would be nice about the European games sometimes that they weren't costing a fortune That's well the fine. European games is is an interesting point because I think there's more of a head of steam coming up about that with the new the sort of new policy the company's got. Dan Silver. Oh, okay. okay. Right. It is worth making the point that I know for a fact the club wanted to run a train to Stoke in the League Cup. What stops it is the train company's doing works on the line overnight. And I have a horrible feeling, because of what happens between Christmas and New Year, that they may, there may be service trains going in out of Manchester, but I suspect, you know, we'll see there won't be any special because they're, they're pretty limited in terms, of, in terms of what they run. On that basis, I've already booked a service train. I hope that I don't need it because the, you know, the club are running, but I, I, I suspect they won't because between Christmas and New Year, sort of all bets are off in, in, in terms of that. So, Yeah. No, I think the coach service is excellent. The fact that you can go to any game outside London, as Cliff said, for £10. Sorry, M- Martin. I think there's an assumption that because um, the club's owner is rich, the fans are rich as well. And um, especially in London, you've got Arsenal charging through those West Ham charging an absolutely disgusting amount. I think a statement would be from the club would be good, knock, knock a few quid off the price just for London derbies where you don't need to provide transport. That's actually a good point. That is a good point. Because... No, the, the ridiculous... West Ham, was it 62... 60 quid plus plus booking fee, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Still, in the in the Lady Brady Stadium next season, it'll be a lot cheaper, won't it? So. <laughs> you were. Yeah. So, Wayne. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I'd just like to say that... Um, 
I'm I'm personally not that impressed by the uh, the fact that we're getting cheap away travel and everything. That's great, but that's a commercial decision being made by football at the moment. But the fact is that ticket prices are still way, way, way too high in this country. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of fans that are priced out of the game. I mean, we're hearing about the Tory government and their tax credits and everything. I remember when I was on the dole in the uh, 80s in London, I could still afford to go to football, and I was on the dole, yeah? I mean, people cannot afford to go to football anymore, and I think that is the issue. I don't, I don't think we need to be um, you know, talking about how wonderful the clubs are, giving us concessions. We, we should be in control. They should be afraid of us, afraid of losing us as customers, and they should be knowing that they have to reduce prices. Because I, I still see there's going to be a real problem in, in 15, 20 years' time when the, when the next generation of fans is expected to, to pay their money every week to go to football. They're not going to. When I'm, I'm seeing already with my own son, and I'm sure a lot of people also have a similar experience, that he doesn't need to go to every match. You know, he can watch it on the internet, he can watch it on Sky. It's not in his heart that he must go to every match, and that and it is in our hearts. You know, we feel yep. we feel almost. Um, yeah, we are addicted. Yeah, and so you know, I think we I think we need to really push on with this and not not accept too much of what what the clubs are offering us. Yeah, Chich. and 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 also, I mean, we're seeing at the moment. I mean, one of the reasons that the Premier League will. Uh, will argue that uh, that we should be paying premium prices. That they are the best league in the world. Well, they're not. I mean, if you look at, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we might. Well, for for some people, it may well may be unpredictable way. What? Well, it may well be, but we're not the best. We are not. I mean, the best players in the world are signing for Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich. They're not coming to the Premier League. So. Where is this money going that's coming in from the TV companies? Is it going into the owners' pockets? I mean, because, you know, there's... Well, I, I Sorry, just, I uh, just, over and out. No, I mean, I, I just answer Wayne's, one of Wayne's points, really, which is that, well, I, I agree with most of what you say, but I think that the half the problem that we've got, not just with Chelsea, but with most of the Premier League clubs and the people that run them, is that they all think short-term. In other words, I don't think they give a shit about what happens in 10, 15, 20 years' time to no, the youngsters don't. that are coming through. All they think about is what's coming through the gate now. Rather, like, rather like our government. No, I mean, yes, you and I, another, I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure... Yeah, well, exactly. And I'm yeah. sure, you know, you and I have, have probably talked about this in the past, yeah. Wayne, that, you know, we are convinced that the bubble of the Premier mm. League will burst sometime. But yes. it, it hasn't. And whilst it doesn't, they'll perpetuate doing that and, and disenfranchising so many more supporters. So, so that I think is the issue. That is, we need to be really pressing this. We need to yeah. be, we need to be taking this up with the media. I'll, I'll come on to it in a minute, Wayne. Yeah. But sorry, Dan. Just purely as devil's advocate, the biggest problem is because football is such a massive, massive sport now. If you or I disappear, they know they're going to sell the seats at premium prices and that's their view I believe it's irrelevant that you you or I have got 20, 30, 40, 50 years history it's all about the money now and the club will think well listen if, if John Smith goes we'll sell it to 
you know, whoever for 50 quid. They don't care. No, as long as they I, fill up seats. Sorry, Wayne. We do need to make sorry. That, that is not the case. I mean, uh, how many wh what how many season ticket holders are there at Chelsea? Twenty five. Yep. They they are twenty five thousand regulars, yeah, plus the two or three thousand away fans. There aren't that, and most of the other tickets go to go to members, yeah. I mean, the point is, if 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 football wants to maintain the same type of attendances that they're getting now in 20, 30 years' time, they probably have to increase their fan base by by 500%. That, that, yep. that is not going to work, in, well, in, my, in my view. Chidge, sorry, Chidge. I agree, but that, that is why we no, must sorry, make sorry, them care I'm now. I'm trying to make, Wayne, sorry, I'm trying to make a, a point. The, the voting, the... The survey asked questions about should the club subsidise home ticket prices, the, the supporting the 20s plenty campaign, and, and categorisation issue. All of those got massive support within the survey, so we are mandated to do something. What I would say is that th there's probably more energy from the trusts collectively, not just the Chelsea Sports Trust, but the other Premier League Trust around ticket prices than any other single issue. Th there, is, there is energy. People are starting to listen. I would hope next season, and certainly going forward, because it it's not sustainable as it is. I mean, their argument will be there's always someone else who can come in. But we'll see in a 60,000-seater stadium. We'll see, you know, what, what happens. I think it's, it's worth saying that whatever happens with the TV money, the reality is that the Premier League... The rule usually is that the clubs is for the clubs to set their own home ticket pricing. They get involved in policy on away tickets. So I don't think the Premier League are ever going to say it should be capped. The challenge for us is to talk about ticket pricing in the temporary stadium and, and in the new stadium with Chelsea and, and, and actually trying to build a long-term, sustainable, younger fan base that can come in when the likes of me and you are unable to come anymore. You know. Okay, so we'll see, we'll see what happens there. But there is, there is energy... I mean, Richard went to the meeting a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? The, the, the Premier League meeting, you were outside sort of campaigning on that. So there is, we, we are involved in that. There will be more act activity on that going forward, yeah? Uh, yeah, I mean, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Uh, I've been singing a lot today, so. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, and, and Cliff as well will, uh, is very involved with the FSF. I think the FSF are doing a great job with regards to um, sort of ticket prices, um, regardless of sort of which way you look at it. But yeah, I mean, definitely. I think it's definitely uh, something that's. Uh, I think in general, everybody in the Premier League, all of this, there's a, there's a, a very big hardcore set of fans from each club that are starting to make their voices heard, and I think that's only ever going to grow in the next couple of years. So hopefully, uh, that will sort of snowball into something a lot better for us. So. And I think, you know, it, it's unfortunate that there was some traction with opposition politicians before the election who were hoping, the guy, who, Clive Efford, who was hoping to be Minister of Sport, he was very supportive of it all, and then, of course, they didn't win the election. So, the, the, the sort of, you, you have to, they have to start again. It isn't a quick process, but it is trying to get the government, they'll never legislate the government on ticket prices, but it, they may start to put influence on to say that you cannot charge £60, £70 pounds for, for standard Premier League yeah, games. He, I'm not sure, to be honest. 
I mean, interestingly, on that point, I mean, it is it is legislation in Germany to actually keep something like ten percent of football tickets at a at a price that the working man can afford. So, you I know. mean, the, but given the the predecessor, that Tracy Crouch, the sport minister, does actually seem to understand sport, but her predecessor was the man who said that touts were classic entrepreneurs. So we're not Savage Javid. That's the boy, yeah. I think we're unlikely to get much support for him. But she she has said she wants to get involved in talking to supporters. She's not going to talk to us, but she will talk to the Football Supporters Federation and maybe Supporters Direct and hopefully they can start to at least bend her ear on the subject. So when she meets with the Premier League and the Football League, they actually start to put pressure on at a at a sort of higher level. Right. So other issues in here around um, away, difficulty of attaining away tickets last season, as I say. Issues around loyalty points. I mean, the problem with the loyalty point system, it doesn't, it doesn't, it works in some ways for some people, it doesn't work for others. Whether the club will do anything, the, the opportunity with the new, new stadium, we'll see. The virtual waiting room, apart from Surrey County Cricket Club's um, booking system is the worst system I've ever, ever encountered. I'm lucky I'm an away season to go, so I don't have to use it very often. But it, it, it drives me nuts. What it must be like for members who have to do it every other, every other Monday or Tuesday, it must, it must drive people berserk. But they, they, we've spoken to them before, haven't we, Cliff, and they've shown absolutely no desire, no interest. Well, having said that, um, from the difference from last season to this is that um, people can only buy four tickets per application this season. Last season, you could go in the virtual waiting room and buy up to ten so there was a problem there that people were buying 10, even if they didn't want 10, and just knocking them out to their mates, for, for mostly for away games. So with this season, with only four being available on each transaction, it has made the, uh, the, the waiting room a bit easier to bear, so more people can get on them. And, and, and uh, tickets are not selling out by sort of 8 o'clock after an hour, like they did last year. You can... Yeah, yeah, you can you, you can you can buy you can buy them up till sort of mid morning now at a steady rate if you like. So um, again, uh, that is something that the club have bought in that has worked well for the supporters. I think. Um, so again, good luck to them on that. Okay. Thanks. And sort of related to that is the ticket exchange, which is something we campaigned for uh, a couple of years ago. The club brought it in. And the satisfaction seems to be relatively... You're always going to get quibbles with any system like that, but it does actually seem... I've only ever used it the once, and it did, it did work. And we, we get the odd quibble about it, but generally I think the feedback seems to have been quite positive. Sorry. Do you want the microphone? Sorry, microphone. Times like this, I miss Mickey microphone. We all know, we all know who he is. Only a small point on the ticket ex- on the ticket exchange, yep. but you have the season ticket holder who buys his season ticket holder and he gets his forty-seven loyalty points for the nineteen league games. He goes on a ticket exchange and he sells it. He gets his money back, and he doesn't attend a game, but he still keeps those points. Whereas, and then you get a member who goes on a ticket exchange, buys his, buys the ticket, gives the club his money attends the game, and he doesn't get the points. No, you know? I, I agree. It's an anonymously. I can't pronounce that word. That is, that in, that, in that system. Yeah. So you've got a guy who pays the money yeah. and goes to the game, doesn't get the points, right. and the one who doesn't 
gets his money refunded, doesn't go, he gets the points. Cliff's probably best. The short answer to that is that their, their system doesn't allow it. I mean, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Whoever attends the game should get those points. Um, but their system doesn't allow the points to be accredited to the new person who's taken over that, over that ticket. But it is something that we've certainly raised with the club in the past and we will continue to do so. But until they get a new system or can adapt the system they've got, they physically can't do it but at the moment. if you don't take the points away from the season to get older for not going... Well, you should do. The you should do. Sh- if someone doesn't go to the it's game, it's they should well, get the may- loyalty maybe points. Maybe if he doesn't, if his ticket doesn't sell and he doesn't get the money back, maybe they're not. But if his ticket sells and yep. he gets a refund and yep. doesn't attend the game, why does he get the points but when it, a guy? Say, yeah, because their system doesn't allow it to be taken from one person and given to another. Thanks, Cliff. Uh, yep. Um, had a, uh, a trust meeting last week and this came up, a similar point, that they don't have a process in place to transfer the points. So whoever buys a ticket yep. gets a point and that's a blanket across the board yeah. ir- irrespective of who attends a match. But it's something that, assuming the club do get a new system at some point, it's something we, we will make, try and make sure that they, that they bring it in there. From experience in the past, anything that we've suggested uh, that the club do that seems to be a good idea and they agree that it's a good idea, but... It involves extra work for for the uh, box office staff. They shy away from big time, big time. Thanks, Cliff. Just a, a couple more points, I think, on the survey, and then we'll move on. So I'm conscious we started half an hour late, and I don't want to keep people people too late. Um, I mean, really, the rest of the stuff, the, the stuff at the back is really a, the football performance. Obviously, people were happy last season. If we did a survey on football performance now, I suspect the result would be slightly different. Um, and I think probably the rest of it, you know, the stuff around communications we do take on board. The newsletter is the most important thing in terms of getting messages across. We we are trying to launch a new website. We have had problems with it, and, and so uh, please bear with us. Hopefully, it'll be fairly soon. That yes. Yes. There we are. That's the answer I wanted to hear. Uh, and Sorry. in terms of the rest of it, I mean, the demographics and everything is of interest because. It's worth making the point that we've sent this to the club, that what we do is we send it to the club, the following day it goes to the press, and we've got coverage in the mail, the standard, one or two, one or two other places. Also what happens is the journalists keep it, because last year's survey, Sam Wallace from the Telegraph used a couple of weeks ago, talking about young players and, and, and those issues, and it brings it out again in here about the importance of, uh, of the, our members see in terms of developing young players. Yeah, just to pick up on what Tim said, I think, you know, in terms of our perception to the public, the outside world, the press, the media, what have you, it's the single most important thing that we do all year. And as Tim said, you know, a lot of the journalists that we've cultivated relationships with will keep hold of that and will bring stuff up yep. throughout the year. So, it's, it, you know, it's important for the membership. It's important for the board because, you know, what, what, we, what you say in there dictates how we you know, enact policy for the year, but it's also important on many other levels as well. So, yep. It's you know. also worth making the point that the club have received it, and in a couple of weeks, some of the board members will be seeing, sitting down with senior club executives, going through the results of this. We've done this two previous years. They do, they do welcome it. It's the only survey carried out by, by a supporters' organisation. I think it gives us a lot of legitimacy when we talk to the club to say that our members think this, so we are representing the view of a corporate group of people, not, not just the board of the, of, of the trust, if you like. 
Okay, so that's the survey. Um, if there are any more questions about it, then let, let us know. I apologise that the, the presentation I've just given wasn't as slick as Celia's would have been, but that, that's the way that circumstances, circumstances are. So now some quick, quick updates on the motions passed at the AGM. Now, the redevelopment, nothing really has happened in t since the last um, exhibition that they did. Not really heard any more. I, I understand that, that planning permission is imminent in terms of, of asking for planning permission. That is likely to take, I'm, I'm led to believe, several months, but it's difficult to be, to be exact. But my understanding is that that is imminent, and that is the big next stage. And I think what goes in there, obviously... When it, when it is announced, it will be on the web. We will publicise where it is so people can see it. Cause be, it my understanding is that most of it will be, will be available to the public. But it, it may be that there's new stuff in there that surprises us. Maybe there isn't, but we'll just have to wait, to wait and see. Next issue, future of Chelsea pitch owners. Now, there's nothing been announced about the future of Chelsea pitch owners, but clearly one possibility... There's a number of ways that the, the redevelopment could be funded, a number of ways the, the club and the owner could behave, but clearly one possibility is that they try again to buy back the freehold of Stamford Bridge. Our um, motions at the, uh, the AGM, 93% of our members thought that we should carry on as we are, that the freehold should be owned by Chelsea pitch owners. So on the basis of that, I've written to Steve Frankham, who is head of, uh, chairman of Chelsea pitch owners, saying this is what our members think. It's, it's very clear. If you just bear this in mind that there is this, this body of opinion, I've no idea, absolutely no idea, what will happen with that. It may be that nothing happens at all. And certainly the CPO annual general meeting at the end of Ju uh, January, things may become clearer. And if you are a CPO shareholder, I would recommend you try and make that meeting. And if you're not and you're interested in it, now might be a good time to buy a share, because even if nothing happens, that will be significant in itself. But I think that meeting at the end of January, at least some questions will be asked and answers will be, will be given. The next one is atmosphere and, and safe standing. I mean, Richard, I don't know if you want to say... You're inv heavily involved in some of the initiatives in the ground. Richard, um, by the way, for those who don't know, is we are the shed... Is, is, well, well, you'll now read He is not. He's involved. He's he's part of it. So uh, yeah. I, I am the shed end. Uh, apparently, no. Um, I mean, from a personal point of view, um, yeah. I mean, I'm doing a lot of stuff, sort of almost separate from actually the trust with regards to the shed end um, specifically, only because I sit there. Nothing personal to the other stands. Um, but um, I mean, yeah. At the moment, with the CSTI, I'm actually working on. Um, like a membership drive, but I do plan on um, sort of trying to link some of the stuff that I'm doing in the shed end to try and get it going around the rest of the ground. Um, not so much the Matthew Harding Lower, um, obviously, because, you know, that's where the noise currently is. Uh, but other parts of the ground, I know there are a lot of people that want to get involved in the West Lower, um, the west, uh, the East Lower by two corners. Uh, believe it or not, there are a lot of people that are quite eager, uh, but don't really have a sort of platform to sort of express themselves or they feel like there are an awful lot of people who sit in these in these areas who feel like they if they get up and sing they're going to feel like a bit of a you know a bit of an idiot um so i mean i'm i am sort of working on that um on the side i'm trying to sort of uh 
sort of gather a lot of pe- a group of people who sit in these areas, um, and I will be sort of trying to obviously bring that to the CST boards. Um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, sort of radar. Um, but yeah, apart from that, what we're doing in the shed uh, obviously has a lot of um, barriers with the club, as I'm sure you can imagine. But only because it's sort of you know football is quite corporate and health and safety conscious. But yeah. Um, I don't really know where to go from there. No, that's fine. Yeah. I was just, <laughs> but I'm just saying we are we're involved in that, you know, in those initiatives. Richard's wearing a different hat when he does it, but at least it means we've got a link into to that. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, Neil. So yeah. Um, so we've had discussions with the club for probably the last eighteen months about atmosphere at the most senior levels. Uh, we have a meeting next month to talk uh, again at board level about atmosphere in the ground. I think actually it's got a bit better. I don't know what everyone thinks in the room, but I think it's got a little bit better. We can continue to improve, of course. Um, we've had a very bad start to the season, and we still seem to be uh, quite positive in the ground. So um, just to say those things continue. Yep. They're, they're not CST official meetings. They're off the record, but they are absolutely the highest level at the club. So... Just on the atmosphere Thanks. point, we'll Thanks. talk about that. Right, yep, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> feels weird. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, one other thing is that um, sort of thinking about the new ground, obviously the atmosphere is quite a big issue. And I know obviously the CST are uh, in discussions with the club about it all. Um, from my point of view, again, sort of kind of separate from the CST, um, we're currently uh, gathering a group of people who insist that they uh, they're giving me their names and numbers their um season ticket numbers that wish to move into um a section which would be the sort of fake shed end at Wembley I suppose whichever side that is um and at the moment point out that there has been no announcement about oh yeah of course yeah sorry (laughs) I I don't know anything that isn't please don't set hairs racing (laughs) I don't know anything there yeah that isn't yeah that isn't official by the way uh that's just me yeah um, but no, but I mean, fr- from from my point of view, separate from the CST, we've currently got um, 60 people that are, like, as far as we're concerned, guaranteed to want to move in. And these are people that are very, very, very vocal. Um, I sort of make clear to them that there's no point in coming if you're just coming for the atmosphere. Like, they have to be people that want to do it. So, yeah, separate from that, we are, my group are trying to sort of get the atmosphere going when we move to maybe Wembley or Twickenham no, or wherever no, it is we're meant to move into. Yeah. Whatever announcement is, it won't be made by this group. Okay, quickly quickly moving on. Ticket touting. I wrote to um, Inspector Brockway, who addressed this meeting about a year ago, because there have been arrests of touts this year, which hasn't happened in the past few years. And I've written to him and asked, is this a change of policy? If so, clearly it's very welcome. Are there other initiatives? Is it are you work? And is there anything we as the Trust can do to, he- to help on this? Now, unfortunately, I sent the letter at the start of the week, and obviously with all the security issues around the football grounds, he's got other things to worry about, so I'm not expecting a particularly quick reply. But when we met him in the summer, Cliff and myself and a couple of others, he did say that you know, we, we should try and work together more closely. And if they are doing the arrest, because I mean, the club have put signs up at the tube station and uh, in the street... But there still are a number of touts there. But if they have got a policy of arresting them and taking them to court and fining them, then that may may eventually start to make a difference. So hopefully we'll hear back, and when we do, we will, we will let you know. The Safety Advisory Group, I've finally got agreement from 
Fulham and QPR trusts on a form of words which we've written to the chair of the Hammersmith and Fulham Safety Advisory Group who, who look after, they have separate meetings, but they look after all three uh, clubs in the, in the borough. Interestingly, she actually works for uh, Kensington and Chelsea rather than Hammersmith and Fulham, which might make getting an answer. It's just because they share services. It means it might be longer before we get an answer, but at least we've, we've, we've made the request. The next meetings aren't until late January, so hopefully we will have someone in that meeting. If we don't, then we're going to push back because we know the club don't want us to. The security people at the club th they think there's a confidentiality issue. If the club are the blockage, then we will, we will take that further because I, I think that's unacceptable. When Crystal Palace sit on theirs, there, there are clearly other clubs that do it. And to, for a club like Chelsea where, that leak like sieves in a number, on a number of issues, to say that supporters' representatives that can't be trusted on the grounds of confidentiality, I think is laughable, frankly. Keep, please keep that in because I know they listen. Thank you. <laughs> right, and I think that's probably it in terms... Cliff, unless, unless you've got anything you want to say on no. stakeholder. We covered the FSF. A couple of current issues. Um, the European away ticketing has obviously been an issue, the, the, the process there. I mean, Debbie is our fans' forum rep. Deb, I don't know if you want to say anything. Um, we need a microphone. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Sorry. Rafa Benitez's team are losing 4-0, by the way. I'm sorry, sorry. I felt, I felt obliged to share that with the room. <laughs> and they're down to 10 men as well. So. <laughs> right, sorry. Sorry, I've just written a, a few words down here. So, um, as you probably know, the, the scheme was introduced um, to ensure that only the named supporters um, entered the ground. Um, they, they said it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction um, to the events in Paris, but I think you know, many people think that is. Um, but it was um, as a result of growing concerns and also um, pressure from UEFA. So um, we've been asking for uh, feedback um, from fans as they go to the, to the games. Sorry, going back from that, I think Julian Jules went to the initial meeting, didn't you, where they introduced the, the scheme. Um, and I think they had their own ideas and didn't really take much feedback on board at that point. Um, but since then, we've, we went to Porto um, and they took feedback. And uh, Dave Johnson, who's not here, he did a survey of the fans there and, and spent quite a bit of time talking to uh, supporters there. And whilst, um, you know, they... I think most fans seem to accept that this was going to happen and while you know they didn't really want to they they felt that it was being run the best way it it probably could at the time. Um and I think as as we move forward you know if there's any more comments um let us know. Okay. Thank thanks Deb. I mean Debbie's our fans forum rep for the next 2 years. This has obviously been a hot issue with the fans forum. Any issues, anything that members raise with us, Debbie does take. At the moment, there was a meeting last week which the minutes haven't been produced for yet, so they can't, what was discussed at last week's meeting can't be discussed publicly. But, Martin, sorry. Um, Debbie, sorry, um, you mentioned it was UEFA had put pressure on. Was this relating just to Chelsea, all clubs, all British clubs? Was there a categorisation or anything? 
don't know. Someone might want to uh, correct me on that, but I think it's just generally um, how the, the Chelsea fans perceive behaviour going in Europe. I think that um, UEFA were putting pressure. Would that be fair yeah, to say? Yeah, that's fair to say. And I, I think Jules will back me up on this. So you, you've got an insight into how UEFA work. That um, UEFA have been down on Chelsea for quite a while. Uh, well, no, I don't. I, I wouldn't say it goes back as far as that, Martin. But, uh, but. They, they, they insist on having a UEFA observer at every single Chelsea away game, whereas uh, um, most in, every single English game, OK, well, that's fair, that's fair comment, but they, they seem to have been down on Chelsea for a while and, and the Paris Metro incident was just the cherry on the icing of the cake, if you like, that pushed Chelsea into bringing in this uh, um, ticket scheme for which they use now. Um, so it is, it, it, in some ways, it is not a knee-jerk reaction to that. It was just the, the final straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and, and, and just to add that um, in Kiev, there was a lot of um, unhappiness amongst Chelsea fans in Kiev that um, they had to go through the system where they had to go to a certain pick-up point to pick up their tickets, whereas the local um, Ukrainian supporters group were handing them out willy-nilly in a pub, basically. And also the, the, the corporate fans that go with Chelsea do not have to go through the same system, funnily enough. But, uh, yeah, um, they, they get given their tickets on the plane or en route, so there's no, no sort of worry about them having to go to a hotel or, or a pick-up point that's miles out of their way to pick up their tickets. So it is unfair, really. But we've got one or two more issues before we, we welcome our guests the temporary move during stadium redevelopment, I wrote to the club about a week ago after we collated um, uh, a list of issues from amongst the trust board and we went out to the membership in the newsletter and we got, we got some, some more, just asking them questions around ticket pricing, about the fact that people are going to have to pay, a lot of people are going to have to pay more on fares. Is that going to be reflected? Is there going to be price reductions? given that we're moving wherever we go, it will be less convenient for people. The less attractive games, what are they going to do if they want to, want to sell out? There's issues around sabbatical. People who don't want to go to the new ground, don't want to get a season ticket, will they be able to get one in the new ground? And would they have priority over people who aren't currently season ticket holders who get one at the temporary stadium? When we see the club in the next couple of weeks, we will be raising those issues. I know it's not for another nearly two years, but in my experience, the sooner you get these things on the agenda, on the table, and into the public debate, the more chance you have of influencing. What we don't want to see is the club making a, a, an announcement that's had no, no support or input to at all. So we'll, we'll keep people, people posted on that, but at least they acknowledge that we are, we as, as the trust with members are concerned, and we, want to, we, we do want to talk about the issue. Martin. Yeah. Is there a case that could be made for no new season tickets being issued at a temporary ground? Well, that's that's an interesting, interesting point. I suspect, they, well, we can we can raise that. It'd be interesting to see what they, we we've just sent a list of sort of wider issues, if you like, and see, you know the, the way they do season tickets is one, but certainly that's something that, that we can raise with them, yeah, because they've got plenty of time, but once they make their policy, that will be it. And you know, my experience don't want to belittle the fans for them too much, but they tend to go then with when the decisions have largely been made. And I think it's important to get in early before those, those the, the sort of policy is, is finalised. So, uh, 
Yep. That's where we are at the moment on that. But sorry, is it Ramsey? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. It's fine. Um, okay. Now, at the risk of getting a heap of abuse, uh, I've got quite a few mates who are Tottenham season ticket holders, <laughs> and they're very nice people, through, <laughs> despite the club they support. And also, you know, I know one or two West Ham fans as well. The same situation. A lot of yeah. Forget the West Ham fans. Um, so they're a bit more imminent and they don't really know what's going on. Mm. But in those discussions, a lot of questions have come up, like, are there going to be plans for bonds, for having to pay for the right to buy a season ticket? So, so to be clear, this is about the temporary stadium. This is not this about is the new this, the Actually, new this move. is about both, okay. about the new stadium yep. as well. Are we likely to be asked for a 10-year commitment or a five-year commitment yep. or something if we go into the new stadium? The, a adventure yeah. type arrangement, yeah. All these things we've either seen previously. In fact, West Ham seemed to be past masters because they had a 10-year debenture scheme at one point as well, didn't they? Just rebuilding a stand. So there's all sorts of questions about how, uh, as you said, the season tickets are going to work at a temporary stadium and at the new stadium. I know they were saying at the briefing that their initial position was people would get to sit in basically the same position, which sounds a very good idea. I think we probably support them in attempts to support people where you know I've, I've got a great bunch of people I've got to know through sitting in the shed and and you know if they can put up for me put up with me for any longer that'd be great um, but there's a huge number of issues just to do with the physical relocation but in the temporary stand idea if people jump the queue over people who've been season ticket holders for donkey's years, that would upset well, a lot of R people. Ramsey, could I just come in on something there? Sure. Where you mentioned the debenture issue, I don't think that would be an issue at the new stadium because there's been a, an announcement there won't be an increase in season tickets for the new stadium. A few hundred, yeah. So largely it would be the people who have got season tickets now will get season tickets in the new ground. So there's no need for a debenture issue, I wouldn't have thought. Um, I mean, I would hope so, given the finances behind yeah. the club and FFP. Now, now also, regarding what you said about... trying to clarify. Yeah, yeah, of course. Regarding what you said about people moving back to where largely where they are at the moment, now, I would argue that there's a case against that because I think, this is a personal opinion of mine, that any new, any new ground uh, redevelopment should be atmosphere-led. So if there's, if there's lots of people that want to sit behind the goal, either end, either Matthew Hardy end or whatever it's going to be called in the shed end, can go there and create some atmosphere and everything else should come off that. Then if people, uh, if that's affecting people's season tickets where they are now, then I would be inclined to say, tough. That's an interesting discussion. Yeah, point. no, this is not, I would I hasten to add, David. this is a, a personal <laughs> point. This is a personal <laughs> point, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's very important when you... When you look at, at grounds like the Emirates, at the, uh, the uh, Etihad Stadium, the atmosphere is crap at those places. And that's because they've had, uh, I think Arsenal had the bond issue when they moved into the new ground. So there were people sitting with, with people that were in the bond scheme. not And there was no atmosphere initiative whatsoever there. So I think we're in a position now that we can learn from the mistakes of those stadiums and have it as an atmosphere-led stadium. Uh, and I appreciate the sentiment because nothing frustrates me more than when we have the, the team needing a bit of support and we're not getting behind them. And yeah. I seem to be getting a bit on, uh, getting on a bit now. My throat's not what it used <laughs> to be either, so I can't do it um, on, on my own. But at the same time, 
we could do this for like the first couple of seasons and find in a few years it's just drifted away yep. because those people have changed or have moved on or whatever and it gets diluted and all he's done is frustrate um, a lot of people who couldn't get to sit where they wanted to sit with their old group of people because they got shifted out of the way and then suddenly well the atmosphere is no better because um, that, that's all dissolved inside a year so anything that would be done like that would have to be really carefully I thought through I think in the new ground there is time I don't think there's going to be any firm policy decisions anytime soon or there's time to get in the, the, the short term thing I think is the temporary stadium but you're right the long term they've got a one off chance to make it fantastic and we need to do what we can to work with them to make it fantastic because as Cliff said there are mistakes big mistakes that other clubs have made and it's important that, that we learn from them. I'm conscious of time and the fact that we have our guests who I think are sitting the, yeah, at the back. Wait, and we'll, we'll just quickly, if there are any questions, I don't know if we've had any questions from around the world, the people listening, Chidge. Anything, anything come in? Uh, now Real Madrid, good fans applauding in the Wow. Right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, moving, probably moving on. Um, yeah, I don't want to wrap up debate completely. I'm just conscious of time. We started late for a very good reason. Um, and unless there's anything else pressing, what I'd like to do is invite Alison and Melanie up. Um, it's Alison and Melanie. Yeah. Sorry. Confusion with Paul there. Come and sit here, I think. Yeah. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
Um, just three chairs. Yeah, okay. Well, you two, you two want to go in there and I'll, I'll go here. And over. So th this is a question and answer session with, uh, with Alison Gurdon and Melanie Cook. If you could just briefly introduce yourselves. I think Cliff is going to actually handle the questions. He's got the question. We've had a number of questions from this. And just to put it into context, we had um, the Matchday Police Commander here and PC Paul Wright, I think about a year ago, giving the sort of policing side from their perspective. And we thought it was important to have... a from a legal perspective, the issues around policing and stewarding. So that's what this is about. But if you could, say, introduce yourselves in, in your own way, and then Cliff will start with the questions. Okay. I'm Alison Gurdon. I'm a criminal barrister, but I specialise, one of the things I specialise in is um, dealing with football supporters and their cases. But I'm also involved in some of the work with supporters' trusts and also fairly heavily involved in relation to football policing as well. Hello, <laughs> is that okay? Um, so my name is Melanie Cook and I'm a solicitor, so I'm the one that generally speaks to the fans straight off, uh, straight off the phone, straight off the, straight out of the cells <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. And um, I, call, yeah, make or break. Um, and I, but I only deal with um, football supporters now as a, I was general criminal defence now it's pretty much apart from the odd referral here and there it's it's all football supporters for about um about about seven years specializing and yeah there's there's uh, there's lots to be said lots to be said about it but we'll get on to that i think through the the q a session as um, Tim has said, we've had a number of questions in, and uh, the first one that I've got uh, put to, to the ladies is, uh, what powers do police have with regards to street touts active on a public highway? And do the British Transport Police have the same powers on TFL property? Yeah, I, well, the, the TFL property would still be classed as as public property in the sense that it's accessible it's freely accessible to the public so it doesn't it's not excluded from being an area from which touts can freely operate it, it's 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 all it's all going to be the same um the i mean there is a massive problem i i rarely get ticket touts contacting me actually probably because they've got their own regular briefs because they're so regular who knows? Um, but they will. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they. The, the, the police will certainly always apply for a football banning order, um, which would attempt to exclude them from a probably considerable zone, maybe anything between two and five miles outside a stadium. Mm. Uh, I think you know for for the three years, um, and the. But but certainly, I think you know if any if anybody is operating in and around a, a, a train station or a tube station, that it, it's, uh, it, from my perspective, it would still be the same as outside the ground, I would have thought. But Alison Arlett. Um, yeah, I'm aware of the, the problems that you've got outside Fulham Broadway. In fact, I've spoken to British Transport Police, one of the sergeants at British Transport Police on this on a number of occasions. Um, one of the things that I think, the problem that the police have with this is that your tout doesn't stand outside Fulham Broadway. The runner stands outside Fulham Broadway. The tout is somewhere else. Um, and there's lots of runners, and when they pick the runners up, all they have on them is one ticket or a small amount of money. Um, my suggestion, and I don't know whether or not they're going to take this up, but my suggestion is that um, 
they just keep picking up the runners because eventually the touts are going to get fed up with the fact that every time they send a runner, they lose their money or they lose their ticket. So it's more of a disruption, really, than actually arresting because a lot of the time they're going to struggle pretty much to arrest. Um, they can use the antisocial behaviour provisions in relation to the, the runners, and that's my suggestion. Just use the antisocial behaviour provisions. Keep picking up the runners. Eventually, the touts will think, this is just too difficult. It's not worth it. But you're not actually going to pick up the touts outside Fulham Broadway because they're not there. You know, you've got the odd one or two there, but actually they stand further down the road. Um, but, you know, the reality is you're not going to pick the, the main ones up. Um, I think there's two issues here. That's one issue. The other issue is the fact that some of the fans feel that they're very sort of hard done by on the fact that if they try and sell a ticket to a mate, they may fall foul of the ticket touting provisions, yet they're seeing people standing outside Fulham Broadway and it's being pretty open. Or on the newspaper, there's adverts that, that you, know, you can ring a number. Um, my experience is that, as Mel says, most people don't actually get arrested for trying to sell a ticket to a mate, as long as it's being sold on face value or whatever. Uh, we have had a few where they have been arrested or they have been approached, and we've normally worked with the police and that to, to try and sort of resolve that without them actually being ending up in court. Um, because that's not the issue, is it? The issue is nobody really has a problem with the fact that someone buys two tickets and then s their mate can't go, so they then sell it to someone else. What people have a problem with is that people are buying large amounts of tickets so that the genuine fans can't get hold of them and that they're then shooting up the prices so that someone's going to spend 100 quid for a ticket that they just turn up out the street to buy. Um, the only thing I can suggest is keep on at British Transport Police, keep on at the, the match commanders and just keep hassling them on this and saying, look, you know, where's your disruption coming from? We need to see it. We want to see, you know, we've got a problem with this. We want to see it sorted. So just on that point, I mean, it, it does seem that there is one law for someone who wants to go and watch a football game and a diff completely different law for someone who wants to go and watch any other sporting event or musical event or anything, theatre, whatever, yeah? Why is it only football fans that are... I mean, I personally, I, I have a couple of tickets and very occasionally I've had a, a spare one and I try to sell it on to someone who at face value that I know is, you know, someone who's a Chelsea fan and, yeah. And it seems that the police will move in and arrest the easy target in order to, to boost up their, you know, to try and show that they're actually doing something. Whereas the real, the real problem, if indeed it really is a problem, because I personally don't really see touting as being a problem, I have to say that. I mean, maybe that, that, that's my own opinion, but... I don't. I just. I don't really see why we are treated differently just because we go to watch a football match. We're all British citizens. Sorry. We would have to have an entire evening on that one subject. Okay. How, how long have you got? Treated what? what uh, uh, are, are, you, are you saying you've got to leave yeah. early? No. <laughs> I think. I think the, the, the issue there is, yeah, the same issue applies as why can't you take a Coke can into a, a stadium, a football stadium, but you can take it into a rugby stadium or a cricket match. Yeah, the same thing applies. And this is going to be the, the answer that really nobody wants to hear. But the only way of getting around this is contacting your MPs and whatever and saying, look, 
why are we in the position where if I mean particularly in relation to rugby at the Rugby World Cup there was actually an application put forward in Parliament that there should be ticket touting regulations put in for the World Cup for rugby and Parliament refused it on the basis that they felt wasn't necessary um, so this is one of the things that the only way of getting around this really the legislation as it is is very very strict in relation to football fans the only way of getting around it is going back to Parliament and saying look we don't think it should be illegal to pass a ticket off at face value to a mate. Um, that's the only way I can see. That just go to your MP and complain to your MP. With the Olympics, they had to bring in particular legislation to cover ticket touting at the Olympics because it wasn't there. Unfortunately, with football, it's there for lots of things. So the only way to get round it is by saying the legislation is unfair, we want it changed, and it needs to... Yeah, we, we're quite happy for it to stay in place in relation to the larger scale touts, but there should be an exemption for someone that's that's just giving it to a mate or selling it to a mate. Okay, uh, next question. Um, football banning orders seem to be used more often now. More often now. Can you explain what sanctions are in place when an FBO is in force? Um, the, the football banning order sanctions, you, do you mean the... the, the mandatory conditions that come with every football ban order that you generally can't change and then you've got additional conditions that the police can ask for which will relate directly to the the, the particular club that, that fan supports uh, so just in general now what, what, what sanctions there are uh, what is instigated in the ban that's in place so so you mean what 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 are they banned from doing yeah, right yeah. well not to attend any regulated football match Number one, can't go into into a stadium regulated by the FA. So it does cover quite. In fact, that in itself is another. <laughs> we've had um, we've 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 had some American teams come over. I think one came over and played in Manchester City's football ground, and there was a bit of an issue about whether or not it was a regulated football match because that they weren't regulated by the FA, and we had to go to the FBOA and get them to. And they went off for a couple of hours. They didn't know the answer. Anyway, they came back and said it was. I mean, so there, it's, it's it can be a little bit of a grey area. But um, so not go not to go inside a stadium, and you're, you're then it's it's like you're monitored. So if you change your name, if you change your address, um, there's a whole list. There's a whole list of changes in your life that you must report to the football banning order authority. Now, they monitor you and your location and your identity because they write to you with letters telling you to either report or sign or both to your local police station to hand in your passport before overseas England matches or overseas um, your club's overseas matches, if, if any. Uh, and you have to, during a control period, you have to go and hand your passport into the police station, leave work early, whatever it is, you know, whatever times they set, whatever it is you have to do. You go in, you hand in your passport, and then you have to pick it up afterwards, um, after the match um, has, has completed. And breaching any condition of the football banning order is a criminal offence. So you forget, you, 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 know, you forget something or you don't get the letter and you, you don't keep an eye on the England matches or whatever. You can find yourself uh, in court... Uh, and then facing and, and then getting a, a criminal conviction and a and a fine or a community, you know, depending on depending on the severity of the uh, of the condition that you've broke. The the more onerous conditions, of course, are where you're 
um, freedom of movement is restricted, and that is where, I mean, some conditions are not to go within five miles of Manchester United Football Club on match days where the team are playing at home, or in any city or town where your club is playing away on match on those match days. Now, that is, I mean, birthday parties, weddings, friends' birthday, you know, there's so, so many things you know you can't go into town so if it's five uh, hours over before what match, period of time is that three it, years no, minimum no. is that sort of um, uh, um the day on the day of on the, match. the day of the yeah. match yeah. yeah so from sort of 12 o'clock well say you've got three o'clock kickoff three o'clock kickoff yeah and you can't um go into town five hours you know into the whole town they give you a map with a boundary on it so you're thinking of christmas shopping or you want to go to your gym or something like that and you have to be out of town by 10 a.m. What are you going to achieve by 10 a.m.? Mm. Shops don't even open to, you know, I mean, so it's, um, it. this is why we view it, and a lot of people obviously would view it as a very, very draconian, mm. um, these, the, the football banning orders. And, they, uh, and the police are applying for them, you know, for, for virtually everything at the moment. I mean, the, the whole concept, I know it's one of your later questions about cautions, but I'll, so I'll address that in turn, but just hold that thought, you know, as I've been discussing now, um, and how that relates to cautions. Uh, and what what are the periods of the ban in order? What uh, between three and five years for um, if you don't if it follows a criminal conviction and you don't go to prison, um, minimum six years, which is mandatory if if it's an imprisonable. Uh, if you do go to an prison immediately, as in you know, you're sent off to prison. For civil football banning orders, it's between three and five years. Sorry, just with um, Euro 2016 coming up, do people who get domestic banning orders automatically banned from going to away games as well? England, in, well, England and their, and their clubs. So yeah. anyone who got a banning order in the UK would be unable to go to Euro 2016? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if I can just sort of address that in two points. One point, coming back on the regulated football match, what is a regulated football match? We know that um, anything that's linked to a club is, an un- is a regulated football match. So women's matches, so Chelsea women's, under 20, Chelsea under-21s, they're all classed as regulated matches as well. Um, so if you have a football banning order from in relation to Chelsea, then that's anything that has the Chelsea logo, as it were, to it. Um, there is a question as to whether or not it covers the non-league. So um, the likes of anyone who goes to, I don't know, Dulwich Hamlet, Croydon FC, all of those sort of matches, there is the question there that they possibly aren't regulated. So if you get a football banning order from Chelsea, it may be that you can still go to, to some of those smaller um, games. But that so far hasn't been, that hasn't been dealt with in court. Um, in relation to the overseas matches, yes, if you receive a football banning order for a domestic club, so effectively if it's a Chelsea ban, that you can't go to Chelsea matches. That also means you can't go where England are playing overseas. Um, So for the Euro 2016, yeah, you are going to have to hand your passport in previous to the Euros, and you won't get your passport back until the Euros are finished, Um, or alternatively until England are out for the Euros. So we'll probably say about five days. Um, so, so, sorry, Alison, in effect, that could impinge on a family holiday yes, if, that, if it's covered I mean, in that our period. Advice to clients who have received, who are under a football banning order or who have received notification that an application has been made for a football banning order is don't book any travel overseas during the Euros period. 
because if you are looking at travel mm -hmm. overseas and you've got evidence that you are going to America or whatever, then the football banning authority may well give you permission to travel. But if you're travelling to Spain and you're driving through France to get to Spain, then they won't give you permission to travel. So it is very, very draconian. Um, and we do work a lot with the football banning authority to try and sort of smooth things over. But if someone's got tickets that's going to take them through France, then there is no chance. We'll take them from an airport where chances are they could then quite easily get into France. So if they decide to fly into you know, Barcelona or and then could then drive up to France, the chances are that the football banning authority won't give them permission to travel. They'll, they'll require their passport. And that means their passport is held, the, the fan's passport is held at the police station for the whole of that period. Now, when the um, England-Ireland match was being played in Ireland, um, fans had to also report on the Sunday morning. They had to report between 10 o'clock and 12.30 at the police station that they designated as their local police station. We found that that was very difficult for a lot of fans because their local police station may well be one that isn't local to them at the weekend because they choose their workplace police station because that's where it's easier to hand their passport in or vice versa. But they were all supposed to go and sign on to prove that they weren't going to Ireland because the problem that the police foresaw with Ireland was that you could travel there on a driving licence. So even if your passport was handed in to the police station, you could have still, if you wanted to, have jumped on a plane. So sometimes the restrictions are very, very draconian in the fact that there is no choice. You have to turn up at police station. The other problem we had with that was that a lot of our fans were told to turn up at police station. They turned up at the police station. It was closed on a Sunday. Um, hmm. And we then had to do a lot of work with the Football Banning Authority to say, don't breach them, please, because they did actually turn up. Just on that point, you, if you go via the ferry, you just you don't need any photo ID to get on a ferry to Ireland because I family regularly go from Fishgar through to Ross Lair and then you a couple of hours you're in Dublin so it seems a bit a bit of a strange and not very well thought out in that sense well the, the whole point of it was sign that you on. had to actually sign on yeah. so you had to sign on the police station to prove that you weren't actually travelling overseas ok next question if a court instigates a banning order is there any right of appeal are there published guidelines with regard to sentencing It's not the court that instigates the banning order, so it'd always be the chief constable of that fan's area where they live, um, or the Metropolitan Police, as we as we know from the uh, the Paris Chelsea incident. Um, so they they're the ones that say they want they want that football banning order, and what say that question again? Sorry, right of appeal. That's it. Um, so. If the ban is made, because a lot of the time we may be advising people that they need to oppose it and we need to contest it, and maybe the ban won't be made. But if that ban is made, you do have a right of appeal because, and it's an automatic right of appeal because it um, from the magistrates' court to the crown court. So within th 21 days, you have to lodge an appeal to have a rehearing in the crown court. Um, and that ha that so you do get that automatic appeal right, yes. Sorry, can clubs instigate banning orders off their own back with no reference to the police or justice system? Is there any statutory right of appeal, and do all clubs operate the same process? No. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> 
no c- clubs <coughs> don't but clubs can provide intelligence or information to the police to assist the police so they could work with the police to get enough intelligence to produce intelligence reports which we see as part of a football banning order pack application pack um, to for example show that they're they're troublesome inside the stadium they're too cheeky to the stewards or whatever you know um, so but they 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 can't go to court they can't they you know they can't take fans to court um, you know I hope that never happens. Uh, that's mm. but, yeah, but but they can implement they can implement bans from their own ground. I mean, Chelsea same as you can, can get banned from a supermarket or a yeah. pub. You know, if you start nicking stuff from the supermarket too often, you'd be banned from all your Sainsburys. Or mm. you know, same with the pub. You you know, you causing trouble in the pub. You can be you know, in the same way you can exclude someone from your house. It's private property, so they can do absolutely what they like in terms of who they let in and and who they keep out. And that can be for life. I mean, some some bans we've seen are just straight away lifetime ban. Yeah, from way more than the court club, from yeah. that club. Yeah. yeah, only from the club. Obviously, not from yeah. the away venues. Yeah, and mm. I think I, I think I can say from experience, I, I've I've gained over the years that no two clubs are the same in this process. Uh, they, they haven't got a set procedure so of appeal. They haven't yeah. got a set procedure of banning from 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 their stadiums. You can you can get away with an offence maybe at, at Stamford Bridge, but get for the same offence at White Hart Lane or something like that. It's that's that's really tricky because there's no transparency and fans never quite know where they stand. It's all sometimes it's personality driven. It depends, you know, you know what what mood the safety officer's in or whoever the decision maker is. Um, and and sometimes it's very much how how um, hot the media is on a particular incident. And sometimes, you know, we, we are just advising fans, look, g- give it six months, then go back. You know, the, so first of all, they'll be saying lifetime ban or 10-year ban. When things simmer down and the media's calmed down, go back in 12 months or in a, or a particular events out the way, like the Euros are behind, you know. There's, there's some fans now that I'm saying, you know, you're not you're not going to get off your ban early, for example, um, before the Euros. Let's... Let's talk again after the Euros because things will soften up then. Um, the pressure will be off the police, for example. But in the same way for clubs, it's it's um, there's they, they've got all the discretion from their end, um, but no transparency or, or, or rules from the fans' end. So um, that's where supporters trust organisations, and I think the Football Supporters Federation as well can can come in because they've got that relationship with the clubs. Uh, and they can sometimes have a word and a bit of back channeling with the um, the sort of internal politics of the the situations. Uh, next question: There have been cases of banning orders on people who were guilty by association. How does this work? Um, yeah, that's right. There are cases. There's quite a few cases of guilty by association. This is one thing that we are trying to argue quite strongly in the courts that football fans are different to everybody else in the fact that you often travel together you travel as groups particularly overseas matches you travel as groups because there's safety in numbers but also because it's often the way that you know you you travel as a large group because that's the only time you meet up with those people is when you go to football so you decide to to socialize with them um, traveling overseas there is this idea that the, the Metropolitan Police in particular in a couple of cases recently have started talking about pack mentality and fans travelling in packs 
Um, they use it as a scaremongering tactic, but the courts like the, the word pack because then that gives them something to hang their, their football banning orders on on the basis of, well, you were travelling as a pack. Um, we are trying to address that. We have tried in two, three cases to address that both in legal argument and also there's um, a couple of journal articles that have been written by academics that are sort of trying to address that as well. The problem we have is that football fans aren't looked on as being normal general members of the public um, and that is a problem that you know most people would say yeah well you're football thugs if you're football fans you're football thugs so you shouldn't travel together. Um, so we do have a problem with the fact that we are just trying to do sort of <laughs> I don't know, manage the media as much as manage anything else in relation to this, this association. And it has to be said that the Paris Metro thing didn't help at all in relation to that because anyone, um, I don't know how many of you sort of know about me, but anyone pretty much who mentioned anything on Twitter, Facebook and whatever in relation to that was picked up by the media as being part of that sort of you know guilty by association, which is one of the reasons that I sent out something very quickly saying, shut down your Twitter, shut down your Facebook, make it private because otherwise what was happening was the media were just going on and finding someone's open Facebook, finding the photographs of them, putting them in the media and saying, this is another fan that went to Chelsea, went to Paris on the train, and look what they think about it. They don't think it was a bad thing. Um, so, you know, it, it, unfortunately, fans are just treated differently to anything else, to anyone else. So it's very similar to joint enterprise, which is used in like, murder and manslaughter cases. Is this something it's that could not, be... Well, it is and it isn't. Um, joint enterprise, you have to have something a little bit more, whereas actually just being a Chelsea fan is often enough. I mean, like you know, one of the things that we've had time and time again is the fact that we've been into court where there's been an argument that because you've got 20 or 30 fans together, that would make it intimidating to a member of the public. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be the same thing that if you have 20 or 30 cricket fans together, that that becomes intimidating to the public. So I think the problem we have is that it is, like I say, the Met are talking very much about this pack. They've gone to this pack mentality and they're trying to push that. Um, and so we need to do the opposite and try and come back on it and say it's not pack mentality, it's just the way football fans travel. And you don't have the same problem when during the Rugby World Cup, when rugby fans were travelling in their thousands you didn't have the same problem there wasn't this issue about pack mentality it was just questioned of oh aren't they great you know the the jubilant foot, uh, rugby fans they were treated completely differently boisterous is it educating the courts as well about um, fan behaviour fan culture um, because you know you might be dealing with a, the ju a judge or lay magistrates who have literally never been to a football match and are it's, it's an alien world to them, uh, and they, they've no concept of the, the you know, the, the social aspect behind it and the reason why, um, you know, groups of people will, will meet in pubs and or, or travel together. And so it, it's almost like a battle of, battle of the words, battle of the images, and, and PR. It's always PR right from the beginning, you know, get character references, get, you know, get, get presented. You're going to be presented to, by the prosecution as a football hooligan, the defence have got to work on that right from the word go, which is right. We've got you know, we've got to humanise you hmm. uh, uh, again. You know, you are a sports spectator. You are not a football hooligan. So that's 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 one of the problems. And of course, the police will always try and um, um, stir up the emotion with the the words like pack and you know, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 a constant problem. Mob, hmm. Mob. yeah, yobs. Okay, next. 
Next question, that it w- which touches on that. Um, if a supporter is arrested at football, should they insist on getting a lawyer at the police station? Is it easier or all, r- or all right just to take a caution if it's offered by the police? Well, f- the first thing I, I would I would say, and th- this is 100% um, because it is right for anybody who is stopped and, and who is arrested by the police or asked to attend a voluntary interview um, by the police, is that... In this country, still, we have free representation at the police station by by somebody who's trained, you know, somebody who's trained in and, and, and deals with the police r- routinely throughout their daily working life. And someone who's got all that knowledge, all that skill and all that experience to bring to that situation, which is often, by the time you're in a, inside a police station, it's probably one of the most stressful situations anybody's going to find themselves in, in in their lives, even if they've been arrested before. You know, you're arrested again. You might know something about what happens with football fans, you know, facing court, facing football banning orders. Very, very stressful. The stories that I hear about people who are trying to explain to me why they didn't have a solicitor range from, the police told me that I would be in here for an extra four hours if I wanted a lawyer, uh, the police said, um, we're just going to have a chat and I'll probably just end up with a slap on the wrist. Um, th- I mean, there, there's there's a, there's a probably three three or five very routine responses I, I get on this. Uh, and pe- fans also think that it creates the impression they've done something wrong if they request legal advice because the image is, is well, you know, I need a lawyer here to make up my story. It's not. It's exercising your legal rights. It's it's free. You know, it's complete. You're not paying for it, and it's cases can be won or lost at the police station. And often, when you've got fans, I mean, you know, the, you know, lot lot of clients, an awful lot of clients are are not guilty of what they've been charged with. Um, it might be that they're completely innocent, or perhaps the offence should be a, something else. So, or or the or the facts are wrong, uh, and they're trying to make it sound much much worse. They can get their banning order than when actually it was just a, you know, you know storm in a teacup, and not too bad at all. So, what what you've got is a, you know a, a, a situation where you've got to know right from the beginning: should you be answering questions in interview? Should you exercise your right to silence? Have the police just caught, sort of chucked out the fishing net and dragged in, dragged you in along with some others, and you're kind of lumped in with them. Um, and they're going for a big numbers one, like the I think the Villa City, Villa Birmingham City. Um, you might have seen in the press that there's some like 28 still images of um, Villa and City fans that they're they're seeking. Um, and we had the same forward. issue with Chelsea Cardiff a few years ago at Stamford Bridge. There was yeah, the same yeah. sort of big o- big operation. Police are after the high numbers, uh, and uh, they you know they they love an unrepresented suspect in interview. They love it. So, um, happy day. So, can you imagine the motive of the police officer to dissuade somebody? And I'm afraid some do, some police officers do, say what they can to dissuade a fan from exercising their right to free legal representation. So, always, always, always get a solicitor at the police station, no matter what reason a police officer gives you for, for not doing so. It doesn't matter if you, you know, it's, it's not a, a short term, I need to get out of here quickly. It's long term, you know, if I get a lawyer now, could that avoid me being prosecuted in the football banning order? It could do, I'll get a lawyer then. 
So always get a lawyer at the police station. The other thing is, which is a much shorter answer, is that I'm there's there are much fewer cautions now being given than ever in 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 the last seven years that I've seen in in football cases. You used to get far more cautions, fixed penalty notices. Now everybody charge. Drunk entry to a stadium, charge. You know, no previous convictions, doesn't matter. Charge them. There, and there's officers arresting fans who don't know about football cases that will tell a, tell a fan, you, it, first offence, you're only 26. First offence, you know, you're, um, you know, you're a little, you had a bit too much drink to drink. You got nicked, you know, queuing up in, into entry into the stadium. So, um, yeah, yeah, just, you know, pick your hands up and you'll get a caution has the interview, then um, comes out, speaks the sergeant, oh, it's football. No, no, you've, he's got to be charged. And uh, serving with the Section 23 notice is going to get, you know, we'll be applying for a football banning order. Shock all round. The officer apologising to the, to the person, to the fan. Oh, sorry, mate. You know, I just, I thought it'd be a caution because you've got no, you know, because that, that particular officer doesn't know how football f- football cases are treated. So it is as black and white as that, Mel, that, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. If, if someone committed the same offence uh, tonight in the high street in a pub outside a pub, they get, get a slap the equivalent on the wrist. Of, and equivalent of a parking ticket, I yeah. call them, fixed penalty notices. But they if don't it go was football the, related, the, the, uh, they would record. be charged. Yeah, it yeah. is as black and but white that's, and as simple as that. That's the way it is at the moment. Yeah, yeah and, and, and fans have to, well, you know, um, we try and get the message out, obviously, so... Uh, next question. Um, arrests at football matches have fallen over the years, yet police powers and actions seem to have increased. Is this a fair comment? You tell me. Mm. <laughs> Work that one out. <laughs> what could possibly be going on? <laughs> um, yeah, very true. I mean, um, the Home Office statistics for the last season are due any day, I think in November aren't they so um, so we will see what the statistics are for uh, and this is arrests don't forget this isn't convictions this is just arrests we don't have statistics for convictions so obviously they will be different to the number for um, arrests I mean it seems um, to me that the, the authorities are keen to promote the arrests o- over the convictions I mean for so, say there's 200 arrests at football at, at Stamford Bridge uh, one year yeah. there might only have been 10 convictions in there yeah. so you know that puts it into context but you but never that would make get the, the fans look good if they publish those figures hmm. so yeah yeah what would where would be the good for the police in that so, but no, um, the, the you've you've hit the great question because you've given the answer in the question, which is you know what's the correlation between the um, the arrest figures going down year on year, um, uh, uh, and, and and yet there's more police that, that you know that people are being charged instead of being given fixed penalty notices or cautions, and you know it's like the, it's become harsher. The regime's become harsher in dealing with football supporters um, in in a in a climate of declining arrests. And I think if uh, I think we may um, know what the answer is in when we talk to each other. <laughs> uh, next question: The use of bubble matches appears to go against human rights. Do you think there is a case for this? Um, the problem we have in relation to bubble matches is that the the police normally want to justify the bubble match because there has been previous unrest um, at 
the matches the previous year or the year before that. The there is an argument that could be raised in relation to the human rights issues on right to freedom of association, right to freedom of movement. The question is whether or not it's proportionate. And the police will always say, well, it's not, it, it is proportionate to bubble because of the fact that we've had problems previously. The main problem that I have with this is that, yes, there probably is a case that could be raised, but we're never going to find a fan to raise it because we get complaints. I get complaints constantly from fans. And then when I say, okay, let's take it further, they don't want to. They don't want to actually go with the hassle of having to bring a case. So there possibly is something that we could do in relation to the bubbling of, of football fans. But unless we have some fans who want to take it forward and who are prepared to effectively run the course, because the other thing we have is fans will say they will, and then we get part way through the case and then they decide that they don't want to anymore. Um, so unless we actually find a group of fans that, that are genuinely really interested in pushing this matter forward, it's never going to be litigated. On that note, do you not think maybe there's some concerns from fans that they may be victimised for taking it forward? There could be concerns that they would be victimised, but then there's concerns with fans that they're victimised in lots of matters. So I don't think that that in itself is a problem. Um, I think the main problem is that I have complaints with fans of, for all sorts of stuff that are a complaint at that moment, and then three, four days later, when I speak to them again, they say, oh, I can't be bothered with it anymore. And that's, that's the main issue that we have in relation to bringing these legal challenges. Uh, Alison, Mel, may, may I just you know, thank you for what you've said tonight. And I know it's not your particular brief, because I know you're not employment lawyers, but we've got a very um, uh, highly publicised case, as you know, with respect to somebody that we know, mm -hmm. Clive O'Connell, we're talking about. It's a matter of employment law, I know. And what I want to ask is, uh, you know, many of us uh, write things and podcast things and say things, uh, often in a very partial and passionate way with respect to Chelsea. And we know sometimes in that particular case, mm -hmm. it's led to, uh, as mm -hmm. you'll have read, yeah. you know, a very bad, bad yeah. uh, conclusion mm -hmm. for Clive. Um, I just invite your comments as to how we as contributors to the, the Chelsea debate should, should deal with that and what we might want to, want to say or not say. Yeah. All right. <laughs> One nil cliff auger. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue that we had, and that does go wider, it does go back to what I was saying about Twitter and um, Facebook and such like. The issue that we found after the Paris Metro incident, one of the other reasons I said shut your Twitter down, shut your Facebook down, don't make any comments, was because there was a concern that employers would be taking those comments out of context and effectively sacking people because of the fact that they supported a fan who was being um, vilified in the media, and therefore it looked as though they were racist, that you know, the employee was racist. On the employment law side, the difficulty with all of this is that it's just showing that the employee is actually not bringing the company into disrepute in some way. Now, the difficulty that you have in relation to that, and I am actually an employment lawyer as well, um, the difficulty that you have in relation to that is that an employer will say, yeah, but we can't control what's said by 
all of the other fans, but what they're doing is they keep mentioning this company, our company. So actually, the actions of our employee have caused the company to be brought into disrepute because of all these other fans making a complaint. Now, I appreciate that what you're actually doing is trying to support a fellow fan and to just bring into the, the limelight the fact that what you do outside of work shouldn't necessarily be gauged on what you do inside work. But at the same time, I think there has to be some measure of just being a little bit careful on what you say, purely because otherwise the media may pick up on that or the employer may pick up on that, and you may actually find that you're making things worse rather than making them better. There is also the other side of that, which is the question then of whether or not by you supporting someone, whether you're then opening your own self up by your own employer or by the police or someone else to actually start looking at you. And by Chelsea. I mean, we had, after the Chelsea Paris incident, there was quite a few fans who contacted us who said, look, I wasn't even on the Metro, but what I've done is I've put something on social media and I've now had contact from either my employer, from Chelsea, from my university, and they're saying that, you know, they're not happy with about what I've written. Chelsea sent out some letters saying to people, some of the fans, that because you're supporting what's happened on the Paris Metro, you are effectively going to get a suspension of your season ticket or a suspension of your, your membership. Um, the same happened with a couple of people that were at university. Actually, we don't want you to come into university for the next couple of weeks until things die down. So, again, it goes back to this fact that you're a football fan. You're a football fan first, and you have to think very, very carefully about the fact that what you say is probably going to be taken completely different to if you're a rugby fan or if you're a tennis fan. Alison, I just want to pick up. I mean, on, on on the Clive case, you know, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, we know Clive really well, all of us in the room, and okay, he was, should we say, he, a massive misjudgment to say what he said as publicly as he said it. But I think what what sticks in my craw particularly is is the fact that, you know, just judging from what you were saying, if you slightly piss off any other fan group, then they can go and galvanise themselves into a massive mob or witch hunt. And you'll get fired because of that. Well, yeah, exactly. But it could be any others, to be fair. You know. So basically, you are held to ransom by the actions of another fan group. And there's nothing you can do about that. Great. <laughs> when I got involved in the Supporters Trust three, three, three and a half years ago, when we first set it up, I was told by the chair of another Supporters Trust, never tweet anything that is remotely emotive Never criticise another club because if they do, you're the chair of the trust. They will come after you. Yeah. Sorry. Well, possibly not. But, but you know, and, and that's that's sensible. It's a terrible thing to say. But it was actually sensible advice because you are vulnerable. If you're seen, to, you know, I've I've taken note of it. I just don't, you know. Anyway, sorry. There's the, there's the debate about the whole freedom of speech and the freedom of, of expression, but the, the, you know through social media we are putting our private lives on into the world, you know the world wide web, so uh, and, and that's the problem and everybody is just hugely PR sensitive now, and and if you've got someone who like for example if you know if that had just stayed within a certain certain kind of sphere of you know people li listening to viewing it that's one thing but like i say if you get a group go off and write such oh he works for such and such and and decide to make a meal out of it they will drive that up 
in the media and then your head's on a platter. That's it. Just be aware of it and... Mm. Well, but yeah, but it's but it's but it's previously been in the stands. Yeah, but it's we've gone from like discussion in the stands, discussion in the pub, you know, to to it it being you know, I mean, we're all supposed to be our own PR managers now. If you're going on the internet, you know, or, or you're putting yourself out there, you, you've got to monitor yourself, and and that is. At something I think we can't it, we're going to have great difficulty in adjusting to mm. yeah, I think I think yeah but the, sa- the yeah. salient point within all of this I think Mel is that only if you are subject to an employer and what they might think yeah, yeah. you know because yeah, ultimately Clive lost his job because his employer didn't like it yeah. but if, you, if, if Clive were, if Clive was self-employed if Clive was self-employed they could piss off basically yeah. you know there's nothing they could do so, uh, you know, if you have something to lose, they will go after you. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you follow me on Twitter, but I'm very, very vocal on Twitter, but I'm not employed by anyone. I'm self-employed, so I can actually say all of this stuff. If I was employed, I'd think very carefully about a lot of the things that I say because I'd know that my employer wouldn't be very happy with them. As it is, I just have to worry about the fact that my mother's not very happy with everything that I say. Okay, just a couple more questions for you. Um, Football clubs share information with police forces and vice versa. Are there legal procedures in place for this? Um, Yes, the Data Protection Act is in place, but it pretty much allows the clubs to share anything that is used for crime prevention. And the Data Protection Act covers that. In fact, that has an exemption in relation to that. So that's what they use, crime prevention. So they do share a lot of data. Now, there are ways and means of finding out how much data that they share um, and there's also a tribunal that you can go to, a data protection tribunal that you can bring a complaint to if you feel that there's been too much information shared about you. However most of the time the argument by the police is going to be yes but we need that for crime prevention measures, for looking at how we police in the future in relation to the club the difficulty you have is that you are providing your information to a private company. So you're providing your information to Chelsea as a private company. And by doing that, you're pretty much saying to them, we're giving you this information to do what you want with. And you are in a very difficult position because if you don't provide that information, you don't get your season ticket or you don't get your membership. But by doing that, you're ticking the box that says, we pretty much allow you to do whatever you want with our, with our data. The only thing that they're not allowed to do without your permission, really, is to sell it on to marketing companies and that sort of stuff. But anything that relates to safety or crime prevention, then yes, they can they can use that information however they want. And am I right in, in saying that every club should have a data protection officer that you can apply to to, ha- to see what information they have on board about you? Yes. Every yeah. Yeah. In the After I was reminded, it costs £35 a year. You have to, yeah, every organ. If you hold data, you have to have an allocated data protection officer. But a, a lot of the time, they don't know who it is until some, the letter comes in requesting CCTV or something, and then they, yeah, goes off to the safety officer normally. But I, and, and I think, actually, I was going to make one last comment about the thing. Since the, um, uh, since, since the Paris incident where stadiums have 
really come onto the um, agenda now as um, targets for, um, say, suicide bombers. Um, I, I, I think there's going to be an increase. I just feel like there's... Well, I don't feel like I'm, I'm quite sure there's going to be an increase in activity, policing and intelligence gathering activity um, to do with stadiums because stadiums, obviously, they hold a lot of people. If they're targets, um, I, I'm sure there's going to be some, some real increased police presence and that will bring increased arrests with it. Okay, My final guess. question, uh, not police-related but steward-related. Um, what powers do stewards have inside, inside or outside the ground? Can they detain you for any length of time? Do you have to give your details to a steward if they ask? Inside the ground, the stewards are not supposed to detain you inside the ground, but they can escort you out of the ground um, because you are on private property. They can ask for your details. You can refuse to provide your details, but the chances are that they will know who you are anyway because they'll look at your seat number or whatever. And, um, and if you do not work, very, if you don't, cooperate with a steward then the chances are that you'll find that you end up with a ban from the from the club um outside the ground the stewards normally have no powers whatsoever to detain you other than the civil power of arrest so they have the same power of arrest that you and i have if you want to, if you think that someone is committing an offense and you want to to detain them until the police attend um that's possibly going to change slightly in the future because Chelsea are using private security a lot more and it's now questionable as to what powers those private security are going to actually have outside of the ground because now they're using private security around the, the train stations and such like. Um, but at the moment, the stewards only really have the power to remove you from the stadium and to ask for your details or to pass you over to a police officer and then obviously the police officer may have the powers to ask for your, for your details. So you can, in effect, refuse to give details? To, to a steward, to a steward yeah. yes, you can. Yeah. 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 Well, also, I'm thinking on, on club transport. I mean, Tim and I yeah. saw an incident a few years ago. The guy uh, was sitting over who smuggled, foolhardly smuggled some alcohol onto the train and uh, he refused to give his details to, to the stewards and they kept on, you know, threatened him with arrest at the other end and, and everything. And I, but I, I think he stuck to his guns yeah. and he didn't, yeah. he didn't give his details out. Yeah. yeah. No. No, he handed it over to be fair, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they they they, they wouldn't have the right to insist yeah. upon him giving the details. Yeah. No. Quite so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, if there's no other questions from the floor, um, I'd like to thank Alison and Mel for giving up their time. Thank you very much. I mean, I would say, if you're happy, we've recorded this, and this goes out in a, in a podcast. We will encourage people who are, who are here, who aren't here, to, uh, to dial in. And we do get a significant number of people doing that. I presume you're happy, happy to do that. Yeah, yeah well, we, we, we go live in a few days. Dave, David does that. Also, this has gone out live. It's probably of less interest, some of these issues, to a worldwide audience. But we're conscious of the trust. Obviously, a lot of people can't come after meetings. So we, this has been broadcast live as well. But we... Well, sorry, I don't know if you knew that. But, and it will go on the... You know, it, it, it will go on a podcast. But thank you again. That was... I was I'm pleased we did that because we had the police here a year ago. Well, and it's just good. after the yeah, Paris Yeah, incident, exactly, yeah. It, yeah. So it's been, been good to sort of have the, uh, the other side. So much, much, much appreciated. Just a couple of quick things. 
our, our Christmas party is, is here after the Bournemouth game, Jules. Yeah, in, in here. And there'll be a newsletter, I think, next week, which will have information on that. And finally, the next... I haven't seen the... I've not recently seen the fixture list, but the next meeting will be in late February... Because we're no longer quite as attractive a team to, for the TV companies, we seem to have rather more three o'clock Saturday games. So it will be easier, I suspect, to choose the meeting at the right time. But thank you all for coming. I'm sorry we started late, but we started late for a good reason, because I think it would have been extremely un, unfair and inappropriate to have interrupted Bobby Tambling. So uh, anyway, thank you all for coming, and we'll see you all in three months' time. Yeah, it's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.